Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you're with us. It's Earth Day, and if the last year has taught us anything, it's that approaching systemic issues in our society is often best accomplished through an intersectional framework. It's not enough just to talk about our climate, preservation efforts, and even the current future impacts of global warming. Talking about our environment in a silo without thinking critically about the ways it relates to society would be an oversimplification of the connection that so clearly exists between ourselves and the planet we live on. That's where environmental justice comes in. There's never been a more critical time to consider the ways that longstanding racial and social inequity overlaps with the climate crisis. It's a fact being taken seriously by the Biden administration, and it's part of why there's a new White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council. Right now, I'm joined by one of the members of that advisory council to talk about what this council aims to accomplish and what it could mean for increasing the visibility of environmental issues right here in Michigan. Kyle White is the University of Michigan George Willis Pack Professor of Environment and Sustainability, and he is one of the 26 members of the new White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council. He is also a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. Professor Kyle White, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, great to have a chance to connect with you, Stephen. Yes, it's great to have you here. So let's start with this. Uh, environmental justice, it's a phrase that... Uh, that I use quite a bit and that I hear quite a bit. I'm curious if you can define that. What does that term mean to you? Environmental justice means a situation where everybody enjoys a clean, health, healthy, and safe environment, and also an environment where they can practice their own cultures. Uh, unfortunately, if you look in the United States and in the state of Michigan, if you look in places where people don't enjoy that level of environmental quality. It's often places where people of color live, where indigenous people live, where people with a lower socioeconomic status live. Uh, and that's why it's a systematic injustice. And when and how were you approached to be part of President Biden's new advisory council? Sure. You know, it came about, uh, Pretty recently, within the last couple of months, I was contacted by the environmental justice coordinator at the Council on Environmental Quality. And, uh, you know, like with a lot of things happening in the Biden administration, uh, they're really moving quickly to establish reforms in a number of areas. And environmental justice, uh, you know, as you've just been discussing, is one of the key focal areas that's tied to so many of the efforts of the, the administration. And give us a sense of the goals of this advisory council. There are lots of advisory councils the presidents start. Uh, why should we put faith in this one and what it will accomplish? Absolutely. So this is the first time that you've had a a group, a council within the White House, right, with all of that White House authority across all of the federal agencies that the White House administers and oversees. You have a council, and most of the members on the council are people from 
communities uh, that have been most affected by environmental inequities, that have been most burdened by pollution, that have been denied the right to practice their own cultures. And so uh, for so many of the leaders who are on this council, they've got that direct connection uh, to the decision-making powers of the White House. And I want to just take a second and just outline three of the areas that the council is currently charged uh, with working on. And a couple weeks ago was the first public meeting for the council. And there's another public meeting coming up uh, this Wednesday at one o'clock Eastern time. And people can find the details uh, online about how to uh, attend that meeting. But we're working on three areas. So in 1994, there was the establishment of an executive order, 12898, mm-hmm. under Bill Clinton, that required all federal agencies to address environmental justice. We're taking a look at that executive order. How has it been implemented? Can we upgrade it? A second area, which has a lot of relevance for big industrial states like Michigan, is the Biden administration wants to take on infrastructure. And there's an initiative called Biden's Justice 40 Initiative. And the initiative says, says that the, the federal government is going to take stock of all its investments in areas like sustainable infrastructure and renewable energy. Forty percent of those investments have to benefit communities affected by environmental justice. Mm. And so our council is taking on the task of advising on how is that going to work? It's billions of dollars. And the last area is that the federal government has used different types of screening tools for trying to determine uh, which communities are most affected by health and other environmental inequities. How are those screening tools doing? (laughs) You know, uh, can they be improved? If so, how? And can they also be layered with climate change information uh, uh, as kind of a next step? So those are the three areas that we're taking on. Yeah. Uh, And... If we think about our own community here in Southeast Michigan, I mean, just listening to you talk, there are lots of ways I feel like uh, this council and its work could do some 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 good, uh, address some longstanding issues that we have. Absolutely, you know, in the case of the the, the communities and amazing people that live in uh, Detroit four eight two one seven and the the Tri-City area, Mm -hmm. they've been fighting for years to build capacity to resist the fact that they suffer from major health issues and quality of life issues tied to the dozens of permitted polluters uh, in that area. And so, you know, over the years, I've really admired work by people like, you know, Teresa Landrum and others who have stood up to power. And, you know, the state is currently taking action, uh, you know, against some of the polluters. You know, one example is uh, the Marathon Refinery. And I mean, <laughs> you know, I'd encourage listeners that aren't familiar with this. I mean, look up some of the chemicals that, you know, our, our, our you know, our dear colleagues that live in this, uh, you know, live in this area have been exposed to and the types of risks that they have borne uh, out in, in testimony. And I mean, everything from experiences with, uh, you know, with cancer to respiratory issues that affect somebody's capacity to enjoy their life and to work. I mean, it's, it's really frustrating. And, you know, the last thing I'll, I'll say on, on that is it's not just about cleaning up, right, the, the, the polluters. There's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, but 
it's also about ensuring that uh, the communities that suffer inequity, that they have infrastructure that they own, that they can be proud of, mm. that's renewable, that's clean, and that represents uh, infrastructure and energy that is respectful to the environment. I'm talking with uh, Kyle White. He's University of Michigan, George Willis Pack Professor of Environment and Sustainability. He's also one of 26 members of the new White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council. He's also a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. Uh, we're talking about uh, it being Earth Week and Earth Day and uh, the idea that environmental justice is uh, more of a priority for this administration than the the last one, perhaps more of a priority than it was even for the Obama administration uh, and what that will mean, what that will mean here in southeast Michigan with the many environmental injustice issues that we live with uh, all the time. Also, what it will mean in the Great Lakes region uh, and around the country. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call and tell us what environmental issues matter most to you. Are you hopeful that the Biden administration is going to create more climate-friendly policies. Uh, do you feel like you or members of your community have felt the effects of environmental racism and environmental inequity? Uh, give us a call. Tell us what those issues are, what they look like in your community. Uh, and give us a sense of what environmental issues you would like for the Biden administration to be taking up. As always, uh, the number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation uh, that way. Uh, uh, Kyle, you're a member, as I said, of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation, and you have long advocated for Native American tribes and other marginalized communities to get a seat at the table with government decision makers. Uh, what are you hoping this council uh, achieves when it comes to getting indigenous and other voices of color represented in these conversations? Well, you know, in my opinion and based in, in my work, I mean, it's really important that the, the council find ways to address the fact that for indigenous people, for Native Americans, uh, you know, we're the original people of this <laughs> of this land and and we're sovereigns we exercise our own uh governance and you know that means that whenever a potential danger uh to our lands uh is in the works if a company or an agency or somebody else wants to propose something that could be dangerous to our safety or to our uh rights to practice our culture you know we really need to be consulted in a meaningful way in a way that doesn't impose burdens you know on us to have to uh perform all this analysis work when it's really the responsibility of state or federal government and when we are consulted there needs to be a chance that things could change we need to have a stronger capacity to to say no and to veto so consultation is a huge issue but it's also about defining the scope of risk i mean you know a company or a corporation or even the U.S. government, they don't have the right to define solely <laughs> what mm. safe enough means for a community that's affected by risk. And we didn't give up these lands uh, consensually and under good terms. And the environment for Native people is significant based on our cultures and histories. And we're surrounded by all of this other foreign mm. infrastructure, right, that mm. over time further invaded our lands. And so we need to be able to define what the scope of 
risk is. We need to define uh, how it is that a technology uh, that pollutes, for example, is affecting our land and our culture. It's not up to non-Native people to decide for us. Hmm. And give us a sense, and you may not know this yet, but of how diverse this uh, Environmental Justice Advisory Council is. It's great that, 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 that you're on it. Are, are there other voices uh, from underrepresented groups as well? Absolutely. Uh, the council is made up of African Americans and Latinx people and Asian Americans and Native Americans, and it speaks to a number of, or and it's 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 individuals who work across a a, a wide range of environmental justice uh, issues. So it really is a council that you know as as best as possible, right? Given that there's only 26 folks. Um, uh, really does uplift a number of issues and a number of voices. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation here. Let's go to Sean in River Rouge. Sean, welcome to the show. Yes. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh-huh. So I I live in River Rouge, but I have I own a business in the 48217 zip code, which okay. is the most polluted zip code in the state, and mm-hmm. it's right, my business is literally across the street from Marathon. So there has been several issues for years with Marathon, but my question is, what exactly can be done about it? Because we've had meetings, we've had them come and try to do certain things, we've, we've rejected it, and then they've been fined for uh, for their things that they did that weren't up to, um, that weren't, I guess, not unlawful. Mm-hmm. But, there, but that's been the only result. So it's like, okay, people are getting asthma, people are getting cancer, like things like that, mm-hmm. and the only result has been well, they're, they're being fine when they violate something. So, so what can be done? Yeah. Sean, before I ask Kyle to address that, I, I, I'd really love for you to say what you think should be done, because you're somebody who uh, who owns property in that in that neighborhood. What, what, would, what solution would you think would be the right one? Um, honestly, for me personally, I feel like they need to figure out a better technology that doesn't pollute the air. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's very unfortunate. Ninety percent of my community is, is African American, mm-hmm. and we're we're they're poor, so they don't really have the means to go out and say, "Okay, this is the right. This is what we need." And they're not educated on um, environmental justice. So there are things that we didn't even know about because like my grandmother said she moved out here in 1960 marathon was just one small building now it's like a little city Mm -hmm. so all of that went on and these people didn't understand the effects of it so now we're here and we're understanding what it has done and they need to figure out a better way to help the quality of life people around them Hmm. yeah Uh, sean uh, i really appreciate the call and you raising that issue kyle white what can be done about Marathon, its relationship with that neighborhood, and of course, as Sean's pointing out, uh, the really profound ways in which what they're doing there, refining uh, petroleum and, and, and other things, affects people's health. You know, I appreciate Sean the calling, and you know, obviously, you know, I'm always very sorry to hear about the, you know, what, what's happening there and, and the struggles and, you know, the lack of faith and in the law and the lack of faith in the state and other parties to actually take action to change things for the communities that are suffering. And so, you know, for the White House Council, you know, one of the things that I really want to emphasize is that 
the people on the council have been through, I mean, like personally been through, um, you know, exactly what you're describing, Sean, with the respective issues in their communities that they've been facing. And so we're not approaching environmental justice as, you know, this is the first time ever. (laughs) We're approaching it from the standpoint of trying to look like in real terms at the failures of the ways in which communities could raise their voices on environmental justice that started in the early 1990s. And so this council, and this is just my view on it, is calling for accountability. And another thing that I wanted to mention is, you know, Senator Cory Booker has been trying to introduce legislation on environmental justice, and people oftentimes call it the Booker Bill. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that that bill is trying to do is make it much more possible for individual citizens to take effective legal action to address the issue of these polluters. And so I'm really seeing this council as a, a chance for folks who know about this work and have suffered through the injustices to actually say, shoot, what's what's been going wrong? And we need to repair it immediately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, uh, Sean, really appreciate the call and uh, your comments. Let's go to James in Allen Park. James, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think I'm thoroughly disgusted with the representation of Enbridge in Line 5 claiming that Governor Whitmer lacks to have a plan on dealing with their shortfall and repairing their own infrastructure the pipeline had a 50-year lifespan, and we're 20 years past it, and it's her fault. I'm furious that they think <laughs> it's okay to keep playing with this ticking time bomb of a scenario in which our lakes, multiple states, millions of people will all be affected by their shortcomings, and they're blaming Gretchen Whitmer. I'm yeah, sick. Yeah, James, I, I, I don't like those commercials much either, and and the idea that they are casting it as – an issue that would somehow affect heating fuel for people here in Michigan. I, I actually don't think that's, uh, that's, that's right either. I mean, yeah, they would not get the fuel that way, but there, there are other ways that we would be able to, to figure that out. Enbridge just doesn't want to do it because it would probably cost more money. So uh, I'm with you on the annoyance with those commercials. Uh, Kyle, we haven't talked about line five and how this might come up in the context of this uh, environmental justice advisory council. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for so many native people and, you know, I, I hear James and the, the, just the frustration on the, the, the line five uh, issue. And, you know, one thing I want to point out is that, you know, among Enbridge's failures, as well as some of the different agencies that have been involved in the aspects of the permitting, mm-hmm. have they even taken into consideration tribal treaty rights? Mm-hmm. You know, the Bay Mills tribe, the Sault Ste. Marie tribe, they've been very active in opposing the the the, the pipeline, as well as every federally recognized tribe in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my familiarity with the case, you know, I've been upset with how uh, Enbridge has handled the scientific reportings, how they've not really respected the fact that for Nishinaabe people, right, for, you know, tribes on whose lands that that, that pipeline uh, passes, uh, that their conceptions of what's sacred, their conceptions of the value of the environment are not really taken seriously. And just forget, I mean, treaty rights, for crying out loud, right? I mean, those tribes have treaty rights. Those are the highest law of the land. And uh, I, I really question whether Enbridge is, is taking those treaty rights seriously. Mm. 
is there is there a reach from this Environmental Justice Advisory Council perhaps to the issue uh, of Line Five? I mean, there there's always this this dispute between, I guess, federal and state jurisdiction uh, over all of that, and that's one of the things that's actually made it hard to to hold Enbridge accountable the way they should be. Um, absolutely. So, uh, super quickly, uh, yeah, I mean, for example, treaty rights is something that I imagine the council w- will take up. I'm certainly going to be raising that issue, and mm-hmm. I already have. Mm-hmm. But there's a number of other uh, aspects to that. So, for example, the original Executive Order 12898 from 1994 uh, actually says that federal agencies need to coordinate sharing of information and need to make sure that there aren't, you know, levels of disorganization and unaccountability that occur when federal agencies don't share. And, you know, that extends to all information. And so, you know, I think part of what we can do with the council, uh, you know, even though we're focused on federal powers, but is to really hold uh, or find ways to hold uh, federal agencies accountable for issues of information uh, sharing and issues of the integrity of scientific reports. And I think that certainly uh, will affect the relationships that those agencies uh, have with states, um, even though, again, our council is, you know, limited to commenting on federal powers. Yeah. Okay. Kyle White, the University of Michigan Professor of Environment and Sustainability and one of the 26 members of the new White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council. It was really great to have you here to have this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when it is World Book Day. So I'll talk with two award-winning authors about their books ahead of their appearances at this weekend's Midwest Literary Walk, which is happening virtually this year on Saturday, April 24th. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.